I don't know about you all, but um, I went to bed on Thursday night, um, and, and I go to bed late, so it's about midnight, uh, with a sickening feeling in my stomach. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but as I watched events unfold um, in Minneapolis, um, I just had this sickening feeling because I had seen this before. I could have predicted what was going to happen based on uh, events from the previous week, based on news conferences, based on uh, words that were said. Because you see, I witnessed this before. As most of you know, um, I came from St. Louis, and I was in the suburbs of St. Louis in 2014 when we watched a similar thing unfold. I got up on Friday morning, and I opened up Acts chapter 2, and I began to prepare uh, this wonderful sermon to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and I knew as I struggled for the words and for what to say, um, I, I, I simply had to say, thank you, God, for not waiting until 5 o'clock on Sunday morning to tell me that that's not the sermon you're doing. Um, but he had to wrestle with me for a little bit, didn't he? Um, I, I shared with the staff to get their input and their feedback, um, uh, telling them they weren't going to have the last word, that we were going to count on the Spirit um, to guide uh, uh, where we go with today's message. But uh, again, I, I just had this sickening feeling as I, as I watched again. A and I recalled what we had experienced in 2014, and I remember all of the stuff on social media, all of the stuff being said uh, at different camps in St. Louis and seeing the division, the inability to come together and to have rational discussions. And so, at that time, I, I, I did not say anything. I didn't speak from the pulpit. Um, and I regretted it later. And so uh, today I'm going to take a different tack. And in fact, a couple of years later, in July uh, of uh, 2016, um, I'm guessing most of you don't remember the names Alton Sterling or Philandro Castile. Um, one of them was killed on July 4th um, in Louisiana, if I remember. The other was killed actually in Minnesota. Uh, pulled over for a traffic stop was told to reach in and get his registration, had a gun in the, in the glove box, and um, the, the police officer thought he was reaching for the gun instead of the registration and killed him. A few days after that, um, there was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Patrick, uh, I can't remember the last name, did I write that down? Patrick Zamaripa, who was an a African-American police officer, who was shot in Dallas in an ambush because people were angry about what was going on. On that Sunday, following all of those events, after a week of that, um, on July the 17th, I decided it was time to say something from the pulpit because Scripture is not silent, is it, on these issues? 
Um, and um, I will tell you that that message was received with mixed feelings. Uh, it wasn't one of those that everybody went out saying, thank you, Pastor, for that wonderful message. And so I suspect that the message today will not be as well received as maybe other ones, but it is a word that we need to hear. And as I, as I um, listened to pay attention uh, to the Spirit, I was drawn to a couple of scriptures, which I think are so relevant. Uh, first of all, from Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 10 through 17. Now, I'm going to remind you that this is, this is God talking to, um, to the people of God, to Israel and to Judah. This is the prophet Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And, and it's going to give you an idea about how upset God is because in verse 10, he doesn't say, hear the Lord's word, you leaders of Israel. He says, hear the, word, the Lord's word, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to God's teaching, you people of Gomorrah. Does that give you an idea of how ticked off he is at the people of Israel at the time? If he's um, equating them with Sodom and Gomorrah? And he goes on and he says, What should I think about all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm fed up with your entirely burned offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't want blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, when you come to appear before me, who ask this from me, this trampling of my temple's court, stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly, I can't stand the wickedness with celebration. What is it he is so upset with? I hate your new moons and your festivals. They have become a burden that I am tired of bearing. When you extend your hands, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, I won't listen. Your hands are stained with blood. Wash and be cleaned. Remove your ugly deeds from my sight. Put an end to such evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. You know how many times the prophets, the prophets called the people of God, not just to worship God with their words, not just to come together and to go through rituals, not just to have a belief that God exists, but the prophets called the people to practice justice to stand up against injustice, to stand up for the oppressed and for the orphans and for the widows. In other words, for those who were marginalized in their society, for those who were defenseless and had no one to stand up for them, for the voiceless in their community. God tells the people of Israel, don't even bother to do your rituals. Don't even bother to show up at the temple with your sacrifices. Don't bother if you're not going to practice the justice and the way of life I call you to practice. 
over in Romans, another verse that um, I kept being drawn to. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 17. Love should be shown without pretending. Hate evil and hold on to what is good. Love each other like the members of your family. Be the best at showing honor to each other. Don't hesitate to be enthusiastic. Be on fire in the spirit as you serve the Lord. Be happy in your hope. Stand your ground when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse. Be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal. And don't think that you're better than anyone else. Instead, associate with people who have no status. Don't think that you're so smart. Don't pay back anyone for, the e for their evil actions with evil actions, but show respect for what everyone else believes is good. Everyone with ears to hear, hear and respond to the word of God this day. As I, as I, as I read those, these passages, uh, it becomes ever so much clearer as I think of the events that happened throughout the last couple of weeks, um, that um, while it would be so easy to simply focus on the violence and the burning and the destruction that's going on in Minneapolis, it would be so easy to condemn that. It would be so easy to rail against that. But let's be honest. How many of you here... Um, are tempted to go participate in that? Anybody? Probably not, right? Probably not. So rather than focus on that, I'm, I mean, we all agree that that is, violence is not the way to respond in order to make your point, right? It is just not. If, if I were speaking to the folks of Minneapolis that participated in that, my message would be completely different today, but that's not who I am speaking to. And so rather than focus on that, I want to talk about some of the events that led up to what happened. And again, this is not to justify what happened. It's simply to get us to think. How about any of these names? Do any of these sound familiar to you? Brianna Taylor. Anybody recognize that name? Woman in Louisville, EMT worker. Um, um, that uh, was killed in her apartment by a mistaken raid, okay? African-American. Um, Ahmaud Aubrey, recognize that name? Gentleman was running through a neighborhood, a white neighborhood, and uh, a couple of uh, white people confronted him uh, with a gun, and he had the nerve to, to fight for the gun and end up shot. Um, Christian Cooper, that name sound familiar to anybody? Bird watching in Central Park, uh, black man. Uh, a white woman um, had let her dog go 
um, off the lease, which it shouldn't have been. And uh, he had the audacity to tell her to put it back on a leash, like the rules said. And um, she decided, well, I'll just call the police and tell them that this black man is threatening to kill me. George Floyd. We all know that story, right? We're familiar. We've seen the videos of that. What do we do with all of this stuff? What do we do with all of this stuff? Well, it, it's become obvious to me that um, whether we like it or not, we need to talk about racism in the church. I mean, I mean, from the pulpit. We need to have this conversation around racism, and it needs to go beyond just a Sunday morning, to be honest. As uncomfortable as this might be, in fact, I think folks, um, uh, in fact, most pastors tell you they'd rather talk about money and evangelism than talk about racism, especially in white rural churches. Not a popular subject. But you see, we need to talk more about this. And, and so I want to talk about uh, some myths that we have, and then I just want to offer maybe a way forward. I mean, I don't have the answer. I've got a lot of questions. But, but we do need to acknowledge, now I, I don't know about you all, probably, I'm just trying to think, I don't know if I thought racism was gone or not, but, but um, a lot of people from my generation, a lot of baby boomers, we've been convinced that racism doesn't exist. We've been convinced that since we don't talk about it, it doesn't really exist. Everything is good. We, we have good relationships with, with people of color, uh, and so all must be well. We, we think that racism doesn't exist because we don't talk about it. And in fact, uh, when I mention racism, uh, often folks will say, ah, there you go. There wouldn't be racism if you wouldn't talk about it. You're creating it by talking about it. I, I don't think so. I mean, look at the data, look at the statistics, uh, tell me that it does not exist. The other thing that we get in our, and I got to tell you, I am guilty of this, right? Racism um, is what the KKK and the white supremacists do. Yes, that's what racism is. That's racism. I certainly don't participate in any kind of uh, racism or racial bias. It's, it's, that, it's, it's that hateful, purposeful stuff that we call racism. And certainly that is racism. Those actions and those words. But that is not all there is to racism. We have to acknowledge that in our country and in our society, it has been something that we have struggled with from the very beginning of time. In our Declaration of Independence, we say all people are created equal. And then we turn around and we have slaves. And we don't give them the right to vote. But all people are created equal. Right? Racism. Um, uh, and then there's this, this other thing. We begin to talk about, well, you know, in our day and age, um, we have gone so far the other way that there's this reverse racism. Us, especially, um, 
us middle-aged white males are being discriminated against and experiencing racism. Okay. I might experience discrimination and prejudice, but I don't think I experience racism. And let me, let me just be clear. When I think about racism, I'm thinking it is prejudice with power. Does that make sense? Prejudice with power. In other words, um, I'm, a, I'm a white, I mean, white males are in control, are they not? CEOs, churches, government. Uh, I, I mean, um, we are the people with power. And so we really can't experience racism because the people of color have no power over us. Racism is when folks who don't have the power, people who are oppressed and marginalized, the strangers, the widows, the orphans, it is the folks who have no power and have a whole system that is stacked against them. And we, as white folks, don't want to acknowledge that. It is hard for you all to hear this today. But it is true if we look at society. It is true. Racism is not my problem. That's the one I tried on God this week. I said, no, 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 no. That's Minneapolis's problem. That's St. Louis's problem. I live in a rural community. Racism is not our problem. Really? Let me, let me just ask you this. If you heard about um, the um, Ahmad Aubrey, he's running down the street, okay? Some of the initial stuff said, well, he had run through a house and burglarized it, and then they stopped him. How many of us, when we heard that story, our first thought was, well, he shouldn't have been where he was, and it wouldn't have happened to him? Be honest. You know, I got to admit, now, and not so much about him being at the house, but he is running in a white neighborhood alone. And I got to tell you, my first thought was, what is he thinking about? What is, I mean, what did he expect to happen? Is that sad that that's my first thoughts? What were your first thoughts? Allow that and reflect upon that. Christian Cooper, the woman who called the police on him, says, I'm not racist. Yeah, I, some of your eyes are like, what? Now that one I really have a hard time. And she's a good person. I suspect that she was truly afraid of this man because he was black and he was large. Because it was something that was ingrained in her. Now maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I give her too much of the benefit of that. Other folks say they, that she knew exactly what she was doing. But just think how that could have unfolded if they had not been gone by the time the uh, police arrived. Think of how that might have unfolded. See, these are things that we need to reflect upon in ourselves because we all have implicit bias, whether or not we want to acknowledge them or not. And it's important for us to reflect upon those 
it's important for us to hear Scripture tell us that we are to treat everyone as equal. We are to love other people as we want to be loved. Yes? So think about that. If we were to love people the way we want to be loved, would we just kind of stand by and watch some of these things happen without speaking up and saying something? I don't know. I find it hard to do. I cannot be silent any longer. I realize there may be some folks who are so upset with this message that uh, you don't come back for a few weeks. But I am unapologetic about sharing these words and about sharing what I think is scriptural on this day. And part of me is worried about the church. You know, there was a poll that was taken, and, and folks were given three choices. They were given, why do you think inequality exists? Specifically talking between whites and blacks. Is it because of individual responsibility and personal maturity? In other words, is it just the individual's issue? Is it um, due to unequal education? Or is it due to unjust systems and discrimination? And they did this poll. They looked at four different groups. Um, white folks who were non-Christian kind of fell somewhere in between um, unequal education, and it was all just about the individual and their responsibility. Black non-Christians fell somewhere over here between unequal education and unjust systems. Now, here's the thing that blew my mind away. White Christians and black Christians. Now, I would think that Christians would draw closer together in their views. But the reality is, is that white Christians, they were even further to the left. They're absolutely convinced that inequality is all about personal responsibility and or individual responsibility and personal maturity. In other words, it's all the result of that person and their life and who they are. It has nothing to do with systems. Black Christians, we're way over here on the other side. And they see inequality as being mainly about unjust systems that exist in our society. The church, the church, rather than closing this divide, seems to be enlarging this divide. And here's the problem. We talk over one another, past each other. We don't have conversation with each other, do we? And, and for some of us in rural areas, that conversation may have to be through um, online or through books because there aren't a lot of people of color in our community, correct? But that does not mean it is not our problem. It does not mean that there are not things that we can do. And so here's, here's just some suggestions I have, which I, I think are scriptural. But I think the reality is, is that we need, we need to be willing to talk about it. We need to be willing to talk. We need to be willing to truly reflect upon our own implicit biases. Okay? Uh, let me... After I gave that July sermon, we, we headed to Kentucky for vacation, okay? Um, 
we're eating in an ice cream shop. With, uh, we're there with the whole family. Um, I'm the last one to scoot in, so I scoot in, and, and uh, there is a, a black couple here next. And when I scooted in, uh, my butt went right in, the, in front of her face, me not knowing this, okay? Um, and um, a few minutes later, she gets up and leaves, and the gentleman taps me on the shoulder, and, and he says something to the effect, these, these are not his exact words, I'm sure, but they're what I heard, okay? But he kind of taps on my shoulder. He says something like, you ruined my date, you racist person. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He proceeds to tell me what I had done. Now, when he scooted over, I just reflexively put my arm around him. Um, but he told me what I had done, okay? Probably a year or two earlier, I'll finish that story in a minute, but probably a, a year or two earlier, uh, sometime after the Ferguson incident where they had the riots in Ferguson, we were in Lexington again, um, and an elderly white gentleman came up to me. He learned that I was from St. Louis, and, and he begins to talk to me, and, um, and he begins to talk to me about the riots, and he begins to say something to the effect of, of um, oh, that must be really difficult, uh, what's going on in St. Louis. I mean, I mean, those black people, they're just, they're just demonstrating who they, they just get what they deserve because they're demonstrating the kind of people they are because they're nothing but animals burning down the town. Now, I find it interesting that both of these people made the same assumption about me. One was white and one was black. They both made the assumption that I, because I'm white and I'm from St. Louis, I must be anti-black. Guess what? Both of them were disappointed to find out I wasn't. The, the elder gentleman, I, 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 I tried to gently have a conversation with him about, well, I didn't quite see things the way he saw them. And the uh, young black man, I said, I'm not racist, I'm just rude. Do you want me to go out and apologize to your girlfriend? And I think he said something like, black lives matter. And I said, yeah, they do. And he's like, well, you're no fun. And he left and said, we're cool, man. We're cool. See, we need to talk about racism. And my reflection on both of those is, um, what would make... Uh, this black man think that just because I was rude, I was racist. And what would make this elderly gentleman think that just because I was St. Louis and experienced these events in Ferguson, uh, that I um, apparently disliked black people as much as he did? What is it? They, neither of them knew me. Other than, guess what? I got white skin. Y'all probably didn't notice that. What else did, what could it have been? We need to talk. And, and we need to be in dialogue. And we need to hear each other's experiences. And we need to understand how our own biases have an effect on people. And we need to reflect if those biases need to be shaped and formed. Um, I'm, I'm reading a book now. As, as these events have unfolded this week, there's, I've done a couple of things. One is I picked up the book called White Fragility. I've read about half of it. It's a hard book. 
Um, it talks about white privilege a lot. Um, it really challenges me and pushes my buttons, so I got to read it slow. Uh, but but I invite you all. Maybe uh, maybe Jennifer or um, Joellen can um, uh, help us, and maybe we could put together a book club and look at it. We have to read it slow, though, people. Um, some of it's hard to take, and some of it, um, I, I have to ask myself, why am I pushing back so resistance against what this, um, this woman is writing about um, white fragility? Basically, what she's, uh, at least as I get it, what she's saying is, we get uncomfortable when we talk about race. Y'all aren't experiencing that now, are you? Shake your head yes. We, we get uncomfortable when folks talk about it. We get uncomfortable talking about it. But we need to learn to talk about it. The other thing we need, we need to learn to listen to others' experiences. And we need to, to listen to the experiences of people of color. I tell you, one of the greatest things I realized that I have missed since coming to here, um, my, um, my worship leader was a person of color. She was Puerto Rican. Um, and we met on a weekly basis over the last couple of years that I was there. Maybe it was longer than that. A and I got to tell you, she shaped and formed me. She, she's one of the best spiritual friends I've ever had because uh, she was open with me about what she had experienced and how she had experienced life. And it truly opened my eyes to a whole new world that I have never even dreamed existed. It caused me to rethink about my own behaviors and attitudes. And um, I found myself this week, I just wanted to pick up the phone and give her a call to get her take on the events of the last few weeks. But I abided by what I'm supposed to do when I leave and did not do that. Um, the other thing that I have done is I've joined a group called Be the Bridge on Facebook. It is a place where um, people of color and white people are invited to join together in dialogue. And it is a place where people of color have the privileged voices or the preferred voices. Hmm. That's, that's odd, isn't it? It's a place where they are invited to speak out with all of the emotion um, and share their experiences without white folks like me judging or correcting or invalidating those experiences. Um, I've been a part of that group for less than 24 hours, but um, I've already had my eyes open about how quickly, how quickly we as white people can be uh, to, to correct someone and say, well, you shouldn't feel that way or you got this wrong. I don't know about you. When you tell me I've got, when I give you, when I tell you what my experience is and you say no, I'm like, uh, excuse me, were you there? Yeah? Uh, but it's important for us to find those places where we can hear ethnic and minority voices in their rawness. Do you hear me? 
in their rawness. Because most of the time, except when things arise like we have, or maybe for a few talking heads, um, it's sanitized for us because we can only handle so much. We need to develop empathy. Empathy is being able to, um, to feel what someone else is feeling, to, to, to begin to see things from other people's perspectives. Um, psychologist uh, Douglas Labeer uh, has done a study, and empathy is on the decline in the United States. We are becoming a less empathetic people. We are unable to feel what people who disagree with us feel. We're unable to put ourselves in the shoes. We would rather point and yell and tell them they're wrong or walk away or do anything other than try to put ourselves in other people's shoes. We need to work on that. We need to be more empathetic. And we need to be willing to speak out. When there is injustice, we need to be willing to speak out. I applaud the folks in our congregation. Jennifer, Ensign, Ann Clark, I applaud them as they spoke out against what happened to George Floyd. They spoke out. They shared information that was good. And then I think there was somebody, oh, uh, um, Smith. Tammy shared an excellent post also um, about a black man um, who uh, tells the story. He's lived in a neighborhood for three or four years. Um, he never walks his neighbor. He never walks in his neighborhood alone. He always takes his young daughter or his dog because he's not going to make the mistake, if that's what we call it, that Ahmaud Aubrey made and be a lone black man in a white neighborhood. Is that sad? I don't know about you. I have never had to worry about where I went. I've never had to worry about where I might go. I've never had to worry about the things that people of color have to worry about. Now, folks, I don't intend to chastise. I intend to ask me and you these questions to reflect upon, to begin to ask ourselves, even though we live in rural America, isn't there things that we can do to limit the perpetuation of racism in our country? Can we simply talk about it? Can we hear the stories of people who don't look like us? Can we have empathy when we hear those? And can we speak up when injustice is as clear as it was in the case of George Floyd and Christian Cooper and Ahmaud Aubrey? Can we speak up and say that is wrong? Because you know what? Racism will not go away until the white people, me, 
begin to have conversations because we are the people with power. Just like we were the only ones who could say, you could vote, right? It was only white men that said you could vote, women could vote, yes? We are the only ones that can truly make a difference. It is our problem. It is not their problem. And God says, I believe it is our problem. Hear these words of Isaiah again. This time from the message. Learn to do good. Work for justice. Don't just talk about justice. Help those who are down and out. Stand up for the homeless and the marginalized. Go to bat for the defenseless. I don't know how the prophet could be clear. I don't know why we think that would only be for Israel in their days and not for us in our days. Jesus came and said, The Spirit is upon me. I have come to set the oppressed free and the 